It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cammie Carlisle. Hello, folks. Welcome once again to another edition of Community Conversations. This is Ryan O, your program director. I know you're used to hearing the warm and lovely voice of Cammie Carlisle. However, I have hijacked the mic because we have a guest who is fascinating, and I've actually wanted to interview him for a long time, and here he is, Tom Becca. Well, I, I thought I was the guest. What, what, you got a fascinating guest waiting in the hall? Yeah, no, that's you, buddy. All right. All right. Good. I, good I appreciate you. your, your false modesty, though. Do you, do you want to talk about how we met? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> so Tom was an uh, applicant. Here at Radio Talking Book, he his name or wait no that's I'm, not how I got no. it wrong that's not how we first met no. we first met in an Uber you're an Uber driver and maybe about a third of the way to work I'm like your name wouldn't be Tom Becca would it and the rest is history I told you about Radio Talking Book and and here you are you've it, been coming back for a few weeks now well I've got my uh, my friend Mike Sigmund was also a reader of Radio Talking Book and he had talked about doing this for a while and then um, uh, you know I lost my job at Fox 42 and. Uh, you know, just going through a bit of a tough time. So I was driving Uber almost to be more social than anything else, you yeah, know, yeah. to be around people, talk to people and stuff like that. And you and I started talking in a great conversation. You talked about Radio Talking Book. And I said, you know, I know that, uh, you know, Mike is, uh, is a volunteer here. And I, I know that, uh, you know, I've been thinking about doing it. I got some free time. So why not help out? I heard your voice for the first time, I want to say about 97 or 98 on KFAB. Mm-hmm. And I thought at the time, what the hell is this guy doing on radio? He has such a unique voice. Uh, you hear all kinds of different radio voices, and they're all kind of different and neat. But yours, there's something about your voice that was different. And I kind of got hooked on it. At first, I was like, there's no way this guy could make it. And, and, and I got listening to your talk show. So that's how I first knew you. So let's kind of springboard from that. Tell me about your background. Where are you from? Where were you born? And, and what eventually brought you to radio? Okay, well, fine. And we'll get to the voice in a second because I, I think that's kind of an interesting story too. But I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, 1955. And I was, uh, uh, you know, I was basically the kid of the greatest generation. My dad was a World War II vet, bought his first house on the GI Bill. Uh, he was... Uh, Pretty much the only white collar worker on a blue collar street there in Cleveland. Huh. And uh, he um, he worked real hard, worked real hard, and got uh, kicked upstairs to a management position in Columbus, Ohio, uh, which is uh, the capital of the state. And um, so we moved from basically a lower middle class neighborhood in Cleveland to the upper middle class suburbs of Upper Arlington, Ohio. So when I was about 11 years old or so. And which, you know, at the time was very weird because I went from a kid playing kick the can in the street to a kid going to organize tennis lessons. And um, so it was very strange. But in hindsight, it really helped me with what I wanted to becoming as a kid, because as, a, as an adult, because I'm able to talk to people of all backgrounds, all personalities, all different li- uh, lifestyles and economic um, uh Situations, so it's given me an opportunity to actually, you know, be a little bit more uh, diverse. So it's been a it's been a good thing. But as a kid growing up in the sixties, you know, in the seventies, fell in love with radio. Just fell in love with radio, yep. listening to it, you know. And I went to a UNO, took a mass communication class, 
and uh, they had a uh, a campus uh, radio station. And the head of the, of, the, of the broadcast department came and spoke to our mass communication class and told us about how anybody could go and be a, a disc jockey over there on the campus station. And, of course, you, the voice, this voice, no, nobody was knocking down the door <laughs> to get a DJ in the 70s with a voice like this. Because if you remember back then, you know, every, all the DJs had, like, Otis 12 voices, you know? Yep. The voice of God, you know? And it was like, and uh, a real deep voice, and you know, and now another ten Led Zeppelin songs in a row, you know, <laughs> and, and and I wasn't, you know, um, somebody once described my voice as sounding like a Pekingese in heat. Uh, I've also heard it described as a as a woodpecker in a blender, um, <laughs> uh, you know. So people have been very descriptive about the voice. But what actually could not get me a job when I first started out, when talk radio developed. Uh, it became my calling card, and it wound up becoming uh, basically my paycheck for all those years. Where did you start out when you got into radio? Okay, well, I started out at KVNO over there at the UNO, okay. and, and 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 as I, I as I've told people, I said when I walked into the studio the first time, it's like the gates of heaven had opened up to me. It was like I walked into that studio, and I said, "Oh my goodness, this is what I was meant to do." And so I just started hanging out at the radio station, wound up skipping classes. I was not a great student at UNO. I did not graduate. On the third year that I was about ready to register for the third year, the night before, I got a job offer for a, a country and western DJ in Green River, Wyoming, making $600 a month. Uh, you know, and even, even back in 1976 money, that was lousy money. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, you know, so I did that. But I had a buddy of mine that was working in, uh, Dave Haydick, was working in uh, in Green River. So I had a place to stay. We had, you know, was roommate and all that. And he and I, you know, hung out together. We grew our careers together. But I went there and I just, I just worked, worked my butt off. I said, okay, I'm going to develop, you know, see where, see where this goes. But I realized that, you know, back then, you know, I didn't want to be a 40-year-old disc jockey trying to stay hip, you know, with the new music. Yeah. So at 25, I quit the DJ work, and I became a salesman. I did sales, radio sales ads, and then I also um, I became sales manager of a couple of radio stations. And then when I was 30, 31, right around there, the comedy boom started happening. And I always wanted to do stand-up comedy. You know, I mean, I remember being a kid watching the Ed Sullivan show, and there'd be, you know, Red Fox. There'd be, uh, you know, Joan Rivers. There'd be, uh, you know, all, all these great old comics um, and Alan King and them. Uh, but everyone I knew, I, everyone I saw there was either, you know, like a New York Jew, a female, African-American and that. <laughs> there were no white Catholic kids from Cleveland up there doing stand-up. So I honestly believe. I mean, I understand when they say you've got to see it to achieve it. I honestly believe that because I said, look, there's nobody out there like me doing this. I could never do stand-up, but boy, I would like to do that someday. Well, in the, uh, you know, in about the 80s or so, it hit, and uh, the comedy boom hit, and I went to a comedy club in Albuquerque where they had open, open mic night. And open mic night where um, uh, the... Uh, the the talk the the, the comments of there on the white night, some of them were just so horrifically bad. Yeah, yeah. 
If you've never been to an open mic night, it's poetry. And by that, I mean this. You've got 10 people in the room. You've got eight comics, the bartender, and the one comic has a girlfriend. <laughs> okay? And those are the 10 people in the room. And that's it. And that's it. And it's, and it's awful. As a matter of fact, the first time my mom saw me do comedy was at an open mic night like that. And it was, oh, my God, it was a disaster. It was awful. And then, you know, a year later, I told her I'm quitting the day job to go on the road to do stand-up comedy. And she told me, she said, she didn't tell me this. I heard this from family members later. You know, if I maybe a little bit graphic here, he said, he doesn't have a pot to piss in. You know, he he's not, he doesn't have, he, what's he doing? He's stupid. He's you know. she wouldn't even talk to me. I would call the house. I say, hey, mom, how you doing? I, I I'm in I'm in the, I'm in Tucson. That's nice, son. Here's your father. But then, about two years into it, I was in Phoenix, and my sister lived in Phoenix, and so we all did a comedy show at a real comedy club with a packed house where I killed. And then after that, I was like. Oh yes, my son's a comedian. <laughs> right, <laughs> but but the lesson on all this that I'd like to say is that it's just something that I wanted to do, you know, that I felt the desire to do. I look back on it; and it was the dumbest thing in the world to do, but it was also the smartest thing in the world to do because it was what I was meant to do at that time. I applaud you for having the guts to do it. Most people would not. Well, that was. And my attitude was this. My attitude was this. I said, I'd rather be 80 years old and talk about my years in show business than be 80 years old and say, I wish I would have tried. You know? And that's yep. that was the whole attitude behind it. How did you... So you mentioned KVNO was your first yeah. radio gig. Where did you go from there? Green River, Wyoming. That was the job. It was $600 a month, Green River, Wyoming. From there, I worked... I mean, I did the whole WKRP up and down the dial up thing. Up and down the dial, yeah. I mean, I was in Green River, Wyoming. I was in Greeley, Colorado. I was in Santa Fe. I was in Albuquerque. I play, I worked over the years, I mean, with both talk and music radio, spanning the entire career. I mean, I worked in... Uh, I worked in um, Beatrice. I worked in Fargo, North Dakota. I worked in Atlanta. I worked in Kansas City. I worked, you know... I mean, I was... I worked... Where, you know, there was a gig I was working. Because you could do that back then. You could go from uh, before consolidation and all the companies owned all the radio stations. You know, D DJs moved until they got tired of moving. You know, there's no question anybody that knows about radio, the behind the scenes of it, knows it's a very nomadic existence. How do you do it? What's your psychological defense against it? Or do you like it? I had my eye on the pr Oh, should be. I had my eye on the prize. Okay, this was a step I needed to get to, to get to where I wanted to go. Because, um, you know, like I said, I moved to Columbus when I was 11 years old. I moved to Omaha when I was 16. Okay, so by the way, by the way, when you are the new kid, your junior year in high school, that's a fun place to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so actually, after that, moving to a new town wasn't all that bad. And, and what's so ironic is that, you know, I was the new kid in, uh, at Benson, you know, back into my junior year, and um, now I'm in the Benson High School Hall of Fame, and it's like, you know, <laughs> wow, never never saw that coming. Um, but um, I just realized that these were steps I had to take to get to where I was going. There was a very, very downtime in my life where uh, a relationship I was living with this woman in Atlanta, and the relationship went south. And as my mom previously mentioned, I had no money, so I wound up living. For about two months, 
I wound up living in a $100 a week flop house in Atlanta, Georgia, on Ponce de Leon Avenue. It was a place where, for $100 a week, I got a bed, I got an old black and white portable TV, I got a toilet down the street, another hall, I got a payphone in the hall, and uh, I had, I was, I was uh, in a place with uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, transvestite prostitutes, and me. One of these things is not like yeah. the other. <laughs> but in my mind, I told myself I was living the life of a jazz musician. I was just really, really good in the autobiography. And that's how I kept my sanity. You know, then I wound up getting a, a you know a civilian job for a while to pay some bills and get some money in there, and wound up making enough so I could, you know, get a, a roommate and an apartment somewhere, and then go back on the road to do stand up. And I did that for a while, but uh, but all throughout the whole, all throughout the hardships, throughout the, all, all the good and the bad, I always just felt like this is what I need to do to get to where I want to go, and um, and for the most part, it worked out that way. So what eventually brought you to Omaha? I assume it was a better radio gig? I got tired of being on the road as a comic. I mean, I realized I, I was a pretty good feature act. If you've ever been to a comedy club, the feature act is the guy in the middle, right? And I was a pretty good one. I could occasionally headline, uh, you know, but I mean, I was, I was no, I was not going to be a big celebrity. I was not going to be a big star, you know. I, and so I was getting to be 36, 37 years old. And I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, okay, well, is this how you want to spend the rest of your life? And I didn't know that I, and by the way, karaoke bars were coming in at the time. So a lot of places that were doing comedy on Tuesday nights weren't yeah. doing comedy anymore. Because yeah. um, actually, you could, back then, you could make a pretty decent living. Like I, I would do a, a group of one-nighters where I'd play a bar in Hastings one night, Grand Island the next, Kearney. And then maybe two nights in Sioux City, you know, put together a week and you made some okay, okay money. Well, those those started to dry up, and I just realized, you know what, it was a nice run. I got my stories to tell. So talk radio was coming in at the time. So I came back home to, you know, stay with my brother and to have a base to get things started again, and uh, talk radio was starting to happen, and uh, I basically, you know was able to talk my way into a job at KFAB. When did you start at KFAB? I'm awful with dates. I'm awful with dates. I'm going to say 94 or so, but I don't, don't quote me on that. You know, I'm awful remembering dates. Well, I know you were definitely there in 97, 98, because yeah, that's I, when I first heard you, doing your butthead of the week commentary. Because <laughs> right. which... I, left, I left Omaha in 99 to go to Kansas City. That okay. I remember. And then I came back in 2004. Um, yeah, butthead of the week. But out of the week was a funny thing. That was a program director told me to try that. And uh, we did it and it worked. I loved it because you could gore anyone's ox that you wanted to. I mean, it it, it was a nonpartisan, it, it was equal opportunity. And no matter who you picked, you would get, you know, people that agreed and people that got offended. That that was talk radio at its finest when you eventually make everyone mad. Well, you know, and that was sort of the thing. It's weird because I remember this was before the days of social media, the days before Twitter, the days before Facebook, the days before everyone was mad. And so there would be a time where, you know, you get some call, or a call up and there'd be some crazy person with some wild theory and you could have fun with them, right? 
and that'd be good, entertaining radio. And you know, the same people would listen and laugh and all that. Sure, Art but, Bell, for instance. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, oh Art Bell. I used yeah. to love yeah. listening to Art Bell. Yeah. You Great know? show. You could never quite tell if he really believed what he was saying or if he was toying with his guests, but boy, it was great radio. It was great radio. You know, at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, man, you would just be listening to that and you would have, you know, um, uh, just your imagination would run wild, you know? And that, so, no, that was, that was great. Because I was all about radio back then. It was the theater of the mind. That's not really there anymore. That whole sort of, Broadcast is not there anymore. But back in the day, I loved that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you left Omaha in 99 and went to Kansas City. What took you there and, and what brought you back? Well, I wanted to go to a bigger market. Bigger market, bigger paychecks, uh, bigger audiences. Uh, I went to Kansas City. Had some incredible experiences there. I mean, uh, during Kansas City, I was in Kansas City during 9-11. I was in Kansas City during the, the recall of, uh, not the recall, but rather the 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 recount of the vote oh, in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they sent me down to Florida, so I was down in West Palm Beach during that week, you know, and I was out there seeing, uh, you know, behind the scenes what was going on and talking to people and all that. What was very interesting about that time when I went down to West Palm Beach, because there was still a certain naivete, if you will, about what there was going on, right? There was, you know, concerns like, oh, this is very weird. This has never happened before, right? And so everybody walking to the hotel, and there were reporters, there were uh, Republicans, there were Democrats all walking to the hotel, and they were all laughing and talking and all that. Said, boy, this is weird, isn't it? Boy, this is strange. Yeah. And that, you know, we get together in the, you know, the first uh, morning, everybody sitting at the breakfast buffet and talking about that, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. There was kind of a camaraderie, it sounds like. There was. Two days in, nobody's talking to anybody. Nobody is trusting anybody. Everybody got into their groups. The reporters are at one table. The Republicans are one. The Democrats are another. Everybody, nobody was really, you know, talking to anybody. Everybody was just sort of suspicious of everyone. And that, I think, was you know, almost the start of what, uh, what uh, you know, we're seeing today. Yeah. I, 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 remember, I remember walking to the, the county um, uh, facility there where they were doing the recount. And as I'm walking towards the building— there's a guy there who recognized me, I think, because, you know, he told me that he was from Omaha. I thought, hey, I'm from Omaha, too. Yeah, good to see you, you know? And thinking it'd be like there'd be some camaraderie there, you know? The uh, uh, the good old Omaha boys together, right? It was not. It was just like, you know, yeah, this guy's from Omaha, and uh, yeah. Yeah, just uh, uh, leave me alone, yeah. So what brought you back to Omaha, then, from Kansas City? Well... I've never been good at office politics. You may find this hard to believe. The radio management hires you for your opinion. They just don't want your opinion of them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, but there was some office politics going on there. And quite honestly, at the time um, that this was going on, Omaha was really starting to see the resurgence. There, the, uh, at the time it was the Quest Center was being built, the convention center that was being built. You had uh, downtown was starting to redevelop. You had um, uh, Saddle Creek Records was happening. There was there was a real buzz about the growth in Omaha. And I thought about that. And I said, you know what? I was a part. I was a part of that trying to get that convention center built. You know, we talked about it a lot. I, I was a small part about trying to, you know, sway public opinion towards getting it built. I, I, I want to see what happens. And so I just... And my dad was uh, getting into some failing health. So I, 
I wound up uh, getting a chance to come back to Omaha, and I took it. And you wound up back at KFAB, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, worked with uh, a great staff there. Now, eventually, we have to jump forward just for the sake of time, but eventually you wound up on KPTM. So you made a transition from radio to television. How did that happen? Well, during all this time, I mean, uh, with social media and the digital age and all that that had finally hit, uh, traditional media like radio and TV uh, was going through a a definite change. And, uh, you know, they... uh, both uh, KFAB and, uh, at the time, Coil, were, um, you know, cutting back big time. You know, I mean, KFAB doesn't have a news department anymore. You know, when I worked there, they had a full-time news department. They didn't have a news department anymore. I mean, you know, Coil is all syndicated shows now. Yeah. So, you know, so things were changing, right? So I was basically without a job. I was in my 50s without a job. Um, I went, I had an idea to basically do my radio show on some of these TV ch- stations' subcarriers. And I went to various stations with this idea, and they all said no. I went to Fox 42 with the idea, and he said, no, but. He said, how about we do something like this? And we talked, and I thought about it, and it was an opportunity for me to uh, stay in Omaha, an opportunity for me to continue to do what I do, and it was an opportunity for me, and at the time, if you remember, Fox 42 uh, which also now has just completely gotten rid of its news department. Uh, Fox 42, at the time, uh, was just trying to rebuild their news department. Fox 42 had, you know, just, well, nothing, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and, and I like the idea, I like the challenge of trying to be a part of rebuilding something. And the general manager there at the time, Jeff Miller, he wanted to rebuild it too. And so I thought, okay, we, we maybe we can make this happen. And so Jeff and I worked on some things, and uh, but you know corporations they just look at you as a profit and loss statement. So any support we needed from corporate to try to rebuild this, for the most part, got squashed. Squashed, you know. And so that became frustrating after a while. Uh, but I enjoyed what I did with Beggar's Beat. People seemed to enjoy Beggar's Beat, and uh, so I continued doing it up until. The time, uh, what, about uh, six months ago now, five, six months ago, where they just got rid of the entire news department. And that's when I, that's when I started driving Uber part-time. That's time, when you right? drive, start driving for Uber. <laughs> and, yep, that's when fate put me in your backseat. And, and, and I guess I'm semi-retired now. I mean, I've had some health issues since then. I'm dealing with, uh, I'm dealing with some bladder cancer issues that, uh, that I've dealt with for the last 20 years or so. But um, <laughs> I lost my job on a Friday. On the Monday, I go in for my checkup. And the cancer would come back, and it came back with a vengeance. Wow. So now I'm dealing with uh, some chemo, and I'm dealing with uh, maybe having had my bladder removed, and I've got some things that, you know, I'm working on, uh, you know. So uh, I'm selling some real estate with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate. And so I'm, you know, doing that to, you know, keep somewhat busy. Um, but right now my main concern is uh, is my health, and right now my, my main concern is, uh, you know, seeing what uh, – What's what's coming up next? Well, we know one thing coming up because that's that's kind of what inspired me to do this interview with you. Is you have, you're now writing a column, correct? Yeah, I'm writing a daily, uh, a weekly rather, a weekly column for the Daily Record. Now, the Daily Record, most of you may not be familiar. The Daily Record is a uh, is a newspaper that comes out Monday through Friday on uh, paper, and then also online. I guess on the weekends it's out there, but. Um, 
It's a uh, it's a newspaper that goes to all the political leaders, the lawyers, the Chamber of Commerce folks. Because it, 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 it puts in all the, like all the real estate transactions, all the public notices that need to be published. You know, when uh, somebody runs for office, the... Uh, uh, the county's got to put in a, a, a notice saying so-and-so is running for this office. And so they put that in the daily record. And But at the same time, they've also got news stories and that. And they wanted me to uh, write a commentary so that I've got, you know, they got something different in there to put in there to, uh, uh, you know, keep people reading it. And so we put the first one out. And now I'm going to be on there, in there uh, every Monday. Every Monday I'm going to be doing one. And uh, it's a nice little nice little change. With every everything now, and it feels like nothing is immune from it. Everything is suffused with politics. Where would you describe yourself at politically? I'm an American. You know, are you a Republican or Democrat? I'm an American. Are you conservative on some issues? Yes. Are you liberal on some issues? Yes. I don't give a rat's toot who somebody sleeps with, as long as everybody's consenting and there's no children involved. I don't care. I live in a neighborhood with Afghan refugees. Yesterday, I'm leaving the house, and I see these kids, and the kids are starting to speak English, so they talk to me, right? And I ask them what they're doing. These kids were playing hide-and-seek. Okay, now, on paper, I got, I'm an old white guy, and these are young Afghan refugee kids. On paper, I got nothing in common with those kids, except as kids, I played hide-and-seek. I mean, we're so much more alike that we want to admit. We find these artificial ways to define ourselves, divide ourselves, you know? Oh, it's like, oh, you're this religion. Oh, you're that religion. Oh, you're that political party. You're that race. You're that culture. Oh, you like this music. Oh, you like that. I mean, it's, it's silly. Appreciate the differences in people. We are not a melting pot as much as a stew. And a stew has got all these different unique flavors into it. Enjoy the unique flavors. Yeah, it's... It's tough to imagine if you were trying to get into talk radio now, it is really hard to imagine someone with that viewpoint could do it because everything is kind of pigeonholed. It's very tribal. And when I hear the words talk radio, and I grew up as a fan of talk radio, uh, conservative talk, but it's tough to imagine independent voices having any kind of purchase today. It would have to be a very, 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 very special situation for me to ever get back into talk radio. Uh, I've got a buddy in St. Louis. Matter of fact, McGraw and I do a podcast together. You're talking about McGraw Millhaven. McGraw Millhaven. Yeah, I remember him from KFAB too. Yeah, now he's been he's been doing mornings in St. Louis for geez twenty some years now, um, and McGraw does a show like that where he just talks about issues and doesn't really say you know the uh, the other side's the enemy. You know, he just says this is what one side is saying. This is what the other side is saying. What do you think? And they have discussions. And it's a great morning radio show that I listen to often uh, online. I don't know that you could start off with that today. No. But he's been established, so he's got a good following of people that listen to him. But I don't know if you just started out today. I don't know if that would work. You mentioned a podcast. Tell us about that. It's called Becky and Milhaven Just Saying. And what it is is it's uh, basically two old friends talking about the news. It comes out every Thursday on all the traditional uh, podcast channels. And uh, it's basically just two friends laughing, giving each other a hard time, in the meantime, talking about what's going on in the world. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with the issues, but we'll also talk about, you know, how, uh, how the, uh, you know, the, our favorite teams, you know, messed up last week. Yeah. 
Uh, you mentioned some health challenges that you're facing yeah. right now, um, and barring those, where do you see, where do you see yourself going uh, from this point forward? It sounds like your your life has been exceedingly varied and interesting and uh, pretty unpredictable. Where where do you go from here, Tom? Well, I'd like to say that uh, I would not recommend recommend my life to anybody, but it's worked for me. Uh, as far as from here, assuming all the health things are taken care of. I would like to, uh, you know, work uh, real estate, do some real estate, and make some, uh, you know, a little extra cash that way, spend the winter somewhere warm, and, uh, you know, still be involved in the community. Write, write that column for the Daily Record, be involved in the community, and be involved in charity events. Like I said, you know, reading for radio, talking book, and stuff like that. I want to be involved with what's, you know, happening here in town. Well, Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and learning more about your life. Uh, it's it's always fun when we get someone in the media who does this kind of thing and get them on the other side of the table, as it were. And we want to thank you for all of the time that you give us here at Radio Talking Book, and we want to thank you for the time you've given us today. It's been a joy to get to know you better. As always, a pleasure. Our guest has been Tom Becca. This has been Community Conversations, folks. This is Ryan O., your host. Thanks so much for listening today. Please stay tuned for our next program on Radio Talking Book. Bye-bye, folks. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.